Understanding Jesus. We're reading from John chapter 7 today, and um, I think I'm just going to read the first 15 verses. We'll try to get that far. Next week, we'll finish up the chapter, so if we don't get through that today, we'll deal with that next week. But reading from the first verse through 15, this is the New International Version. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival, because my time has not yet fully come. And after he'd said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his disciples, his brothers rather, had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask your blessings upon the hearing of your word, we ask that it would settle in our hearts in a way that would be pleasing and acceptable to you. In Christ's name, amen. Misunderstanding Jesus. It's easy to misunderstand Jesus, isn't it? It's easy to misunderstand each other. When our son Matthew, who's here today, by the way, I always like to tell stories about my kids when they're here so they can be embarrassed. When he, when he was about two years old or so, just learning how to speak, we used to get the Sunday newspaper, and um, so when we used to get a Sunday newspaper, and spread out on the living room floor the, the color comics and the all that stuff, and I used to try to teach him to say words based on pointing to pictures in there, you know? And we used to look at the car ads, because in those days they had big color spreads for car ads, you know? And, and finally, as I was talking and pointing to him, I, I could point to a car, and he could kind of say, car. And then I said, okay, well, I'm going to mix it up. And so I, I did cars, and then I did pickup trucks, trucks. And finally, after doing that for several weeks, he could tell the difference between a car and a pickup truck, car, truck. And then I said, I wonder if I can get him to distinguish 
what an SUV is. That's hard for me to understand and distinguish sometimes. But so I started mixing those in there, you know, car, truck, car, truck. It's an SUV, and he'd look at me. And I, I don't understand, you know, whether he didn't understand or couldn't say the word, I don't know. But I just kind of gave up. I said, he's not going to get this. And uh, so one day we were walking down our driveway to get our mail. Our mailbox was on the other side of the road. We had a long driveway over near Charlotte. And uh, there was a vehicle coming. And so I was standing there by the edge of the road holding his hand, waiting to cross the road to get the mail. And it was a Ford Bronco, and it hit a big puddle of water and splashed us. And Matthew looked up at me and said, S-O-B. I said, no, where'd you learn that? Don't say that. I said, oh, you're trying to say SUV, SUV. Good. <laughs> you see, at first he didn't understand me, and then I didn't understand him, and that's the way it is with Jesus. At first we don't understand Jesus, and then when we do understand Jesus, I think sometimes <laughs> Jesus doesn't understand us. <laughs> Why are they doing what they're doing. Well, this is a story about misunderstanding, isn't it? It's a story about how easy it is to misunderstand Jesus. And we know throughout the scriptures, so many people misunderstood Jesus. Even his parents misunderstood him when he was 12 at the temple. You remember that? Even the religious leaders misunderstood Jesus political leaders, his followers. So if you don't understand Jesus this morning, don't feel too bad because you're in company with so many people then as well as today. Even his, his disciples didn't understand him. I think of that verse in John chapter 12 where it says his disciples didn't understand him at first until after the resurrection. And so today, we have the advantage of retrospect when we look at Jesus and everything about Jesus, but still, we don't always understand Jesus, do we? We don't understand Jesus' plan for us. We don't understand Jesus' plan for us as a church. And so we come to this study here in John, to this section that deals with misunderstanding Jesus and even the unbelief of Jesus' own brothers didn't understand him. For even his own brothers did not believe him. <laughs> now, I can imagine that if I would have told my brother that I was worthy of worship, I tried to get away with that when he was little, that I was divine, I suspect he wouldn't have believed me either. <laughs> so you got to give... Jesus brothers that. But on top of all those internal family things and misunderstandings, the hostility of the people in general was growing. It was increasing. It had seemingly increased overnight. Jesus said, as we read, the world hates me. 
And great multitudes of people had just followed Jesus. Remember, we read about the feeding of the 5,000 and how they followed Jesus and chased him all the way across the lake to Capernaum. But now they had stepped back. They had ceased to follow him. And in the opening words of our passage, you see there's even a hint of murder in the air. He didn't want to go to Judea because there were people there who wanted to kill him. And so our Lord is aware of this growing hostility towards him. He's aware of the fact that the Jewish leaders are out to get him. And that's one reason why he responded the way he did to his brothers in this passage. It's one thing to be passive about not believing. It's another thing to be active in seeking to kill Jesus or kill the message of Jesus, same thing. Things can change so quickly, can't they? Popular opinion is a fickle thing. (laughs) We've experienced that probably more in the last year and a half of COVID than ever before. You can be a hero one day and a villain the next. The scripture reading tells us that this was near the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's important for us to understand what that feast was to understand the misunderstanding of his brothers. You see, that Feast of Tabernacles occurred in the fall, usually early October-ish. It was seven days in length at first and then became eight days later. But folks from all over Israel would come and they would camp out, so to speak. (laughs) It was kind of like a a week-long family camp that used to occur in the church years ago. Everybody looked forward to it. All right, the Feast of the Tabernacles. Let's go and camp out together. See our old friends. They would make booze and huts out of boughs and whatever they had, or they would sleep in tents. In fact, tabernacle literally in Hebrew means tent. That's what it means. The Feast of Tents. We think of tabernacles being a big building, a church building or something, but it means literally tents because they were nomadic people. And so this time when they would spend together in tents reminded them of the fact that they were nomads and particularly that they had wandered in the desert as former slaves when they were escaping from Egypt. So that's what the Feast of Tabernacles was all about. And so his brothers come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, you've you got to get out of Galilee, you've got to go to Judea so that the disciples there can see you. And we don't see the names of those brothers, but we know elsewhere in Scripture that Jesus had four brothers. A couple of them, James and Jude, wrote books of the New Testament later after they believed, but at this point, in this point in the story, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ. And it appears to me that these brothers are coming to Jesus as kind of a political exploration committee, (laughs) a political pack, a political action committee, a nominations committee. They're advising Jesus on what he wants to do or what he should do if he wants to be the Messiah. Here's what you need to do. And their their advice to Jesus, I think, could be repeated over and over and over again to virtually every political candidate. 
I mean, they're telling Jesus here, in effect, you got to get out of Galilee. Galilee is way too small of a stage for you. Why do you want to stay here in the sticks? They said, you got to leave Galilee and go up to Judea, up because it's a higher elevation, it's down on the map. <laughs> you need to go there. That's where the action is. That's the capital. That's the heart of the country. That's the center of religion and politics, which was not separated in that culture. Verse 4, the brother said, no one who wants to be a public figure acts in secret. Interesting choice of words. <laughs> Interesting choice of words. It shows what the brothers expected from Jesus. It shows that they expected to be a public figure, a, a politician. And further, they advised Jesus, they said, your, Jude your Judean disciples up in Judea, around Jerusalem, they need to see you. You remember when we started John's Gospel that it started in Judea, unlike all the other Gospels. It started in Judea. And Jesus developed a lot of followers in that area, but then when he went home to Galilee, most of them didn't follow him there, just a few, his 12 disciples and a few others. But most of them stayed up there in Judea. And so they're telling him, you need to get up there. You need to, you need to uh, be seen. You need to be aware of what's going on. You need to show yourself. Most didn't, hadn't seen him for many years. They wanted him to do a campaign tour, if you will, to kiss a few babies. No one wants to become a public figure does this in secret. And the next thing you notice, the brothers suggest that Jesus' game plan, his political campaign plan, was very unrealistic because they didn't understand Jesus. They misunderstood him. If Jesus was the Messiah, then they had, well, the Messiah had to be a political one. That was the way they thought. That was the way virtually everyone thought. They said, so to speak, if you want to be recognized as the Messiah, you have to act like it. You have to act presidential. <laughs> you have to act like it. There's going to be a lot of people up there at the feast. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, they said, in those days were at this feast. You got to be there. You got to be seen. You need to change your campaign plan. If you want to be successful, Jesus, that's what the brothers were telling him. That kind of political electability thinking is so prevalent today. It's widespread, and it's even, it's even in the church. <laughs> we develop a plan. We have a publicity campaign. We carry out the plan. It sounds good. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. And unforeseen things kind of sometimes squash that plan, like coronavirus. <laughs> we envision a new plan, a new way of worshiping, a new way of connecting. And we act, well, like the brothers did. We act like it's our plan. And the little bit of Calvinist in me tells me that's wrong. <laughs> it's not our plan. 
It's as if God didn't know the coronavirus was coming. <laughs> as if God didn't know the coronavirus was coming. You see, the brothers didn't believe Jesus. They didn't understand Jesus because they thought it was their plan that Jesus was here to carry out. You ever think that way? I know you do. So do I. <laughs> Most often when I pray, <laughs> when I pray, I tell God, my plan, I need Jesus to get in line with my plan. That doesn't often work so good. <laughs> that doesn't work so good usually. The brothers had their plan for Jesus. It wasn't Jesus' plan. It wasn't God's plan. But there was one really, really important thing that the brothers didn't have in their plan. Which John says quite succinctly in verse 5. For even his own brothers didn't believe him. <laughs> even his own brothers didn't believe him. You see, they were giving Jesus advice, but they didn't believe in him. They were giving Jesus advice, but they had a misunderstanding of Jesus' plan and God's plan. Their whole plan was based on a misunderstanding. Oh my gosh, that rings true so many times, doesn't it? So many people like to give me advice. Usually it's good advice, and almost always it's well-intentioned. But sometimes I think their advice is based on a misunderstanding of Jesus. A misunderstanding of me, a misunderstanding of Christ's church. You see, one lesson in this passage for me is that if people are going to give me advice, if people are going to give the church advice, first and foremost, the qualification is that they must believe in Jesus as the Christ. They must truly believe in Christ's church. It's not their church, it's Christ's church. And they have to seek out Christ's plan for the church, not theirs. If you'd asked these brothers, well, was Jesus a, a good brother? I'm sure they would have said, yeah, he was, he was a great brother. We love him. He did some weird things. We never quite understood him, but he was generally compassionate and kind. He was a good brother. If you were to ask him if he was special, if he had unusual abilities or powers, they probably would have said yes, too. Might have said, well, not while he was growing up, but lately, yeah, he's been doing some pretty mysterious, amazing things. But if you were to ask them, do you believe he is the Christ? Do you believe Jesus is Christ? They would have said, no, we don't. Now, we have a plan to make him Christ, like we want Christ to be, we have a plan. <laughs> but no, we don't believe he is Christ. And frankly, it's impossible for us to believe in him as the Christ. I mean, we slept with him in the same house, in the same bedroom. We raised with him. We did all the things boys do together. But we just can't believe he's the Christ. There was one missing thing from their plan. For even their own brothers didn't believe in him. Hmm. 
His miraculous powers, I'm sure, amazed them and astonished them. They couldn't always understand Jesus. They couldn't always figure him out. They didn't accept his claims to be the Messiah. And that's the meaning of that passage, John saying, they didn't believe what Jesus said and knew. Sometimes I think that's true for the church today. We, we have the same thinking. We don't believe what Jesus said. We don't believe what Jesus knows. We don't know what Jesus said. So often just because we don't read what Jesus said. I was listening to public radio yesterday, and uh, don't slay me for that. I do listen to public radio. I also listen to WCSG. I listen to a lot of stuff. But I don't know who it was, but someone was speaking in the background when I was thinking about this message, and I, I don't even know who it was. I got to go back and look it up, but I heard them say, God's a crappy planner. Why is it that one person gets a Tesla and the other person gets a tumor? I'm not going to believe in a God like that. <laughs> I don't know what the context of that statement was. But we think that way, don't we? We have difficulty understanding that God has already told us what we need to do has already outlined certain directions of his plan in Scripture. All of us are to look for our spiritual gifts and to utilize those spiritual resources to have the presence of Christ with us in our hearts and then to do what is right in our families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, and in our world. That's the plan of how the church is supposed to function. <laughs> and Jesus describes in this reading the difference between sometimes our plan or the brother's plan and Christ's plan. Verse 6, Jesus said, My time is not yet here. For you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. I testify that the works, are evil, that the works of the world are evil. You go to the festival, I'm not going up because my time has not yet fully come. You see, Jesus understood the scriptures. He understood God's plan. He knew that God had appointed not only a pathway for the Messiah to follow, but the very program in which the events would occur. He knew that, well, he knew that he would not be offered as a sacrifice for the world at the feast of tabernacles, <laughs> but rather at the feast of the Passover, which wasn't going to occur for another six months or so. You see, Jesus knew what God knew. He knew the Passover ceremony in the book of Exodus and the offering of the lamb and that he would be the central character in that story. And that's why John the Baptist, you remember when we read in chapter 1, John the Baptist introduced Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You see, John and Jesus knew the plan. They knew the program. But Jesus' brothers didn't. 
Verse 10, after his brothers left for the festival, he went also, (laughs) but not publicly, secretly. Jesus went to the festival. We learn that he doesn't go now because he's afraid that they'll detect him and they will want to arrest him and crucify him too soon. He wants to slip in there incognito. When he got there, he found Jerusalem alive with all kinds of rumors about him, who he was, what he was doing. Reports of his great miracles had been circulating. Everyone was talking about him. He was the rising star, the talk of the town, certainly a viable candidate for Messiah. Verse 11, now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there were widespread whispering. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives people. You know, those few lines there capture the misunderstandings about Jesus then, 2,000 years ago, as well as today. You hear those same things today, don't you? He's a good man. It's probably the most popular secular view of Jesus Christ. He's a good man. He's not a good man. (laughs) He can't be a good man. He claimed to be divine. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the Christ. He's either a liar or a deceiver, as the one verse said, but he can't be a good man. He can't be. Don't confuse your ambitions or your plans. As hard as Jesus is to understand and believe, don't confuse your plan and your understanding with Jesus' plan and Jesus' understanding. We all do that, and that includes me. It's hard to believe some of these things, isn't it? I know it's hard to understand. It's hard to believe. Even Jesus' own brothers didn't believe. But don't confuse your plan, your ambitions, political, personal, or otherwise, with Jesus' plan for your life or Jesus' plan for the church. Don't be like the brothers of Jesus. The difference between Politics and popularity and church are apparent when you experience Christ. <laughs> They're apparent when you experience Christ. I, uh, I remember in seminary once, we were talking about what's the difference between a lecture and a sermon. <laughs> What's the difference between a political speech and a sermon? Well, I've heard plenty of sermons that are both lectures and political speeches, I'll tell you. (laughs) What's the difference? And someone said something pretty darn wise. They said something like this. uh, When I hear a sermon as opposed to a speech or a lecture, I want to hear from someone who actually knows God who's actually experienced what they're telling you about. I don't want to listen to their press agent. 
Now, I, admittedly, I, I don't always reach that high standard, <laughs> but that's always my goal. If I preach about something, I want you, number one, to know I believe it, and number two, I've experienced it, that it's possible. Amen? That's the difference between insider knowledge, the kind of knowledge that Jesus had about God and God's plan and what the brothers had. It's easy to misunderstand Jesus just as so many did then and now. It's easy to struggle with who he claimed to be. I understand that. And do you have trouble at times understanding what he's saying in these tremendous passages in John that we have been studying? I have trouble with it too. But if that is the case, here's the plan. Here's God's plan. If that is the case, here's what he tells you to do. You need to learn. You need to experience by doing. You practice what he says. You obey his words. You repent of your sins. You come to him. You cast yourself upon his mercy. And you believe in his divinity and his divine ability to forgive your sins for you, even you. And you go out and treat people the way he would. And then you will have that same insider knowledge that when you tell people about Jesus, they'll believe you. Amen?